Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And it is that time of year. Very much talking season. Most of the time we get around June, we start hitting these preseason magazine, the Athlon, the Lindy's, but... We'll give these guys a stage to kick off preseason magazine season. Will Miles, Nick Newsom from readreaction.com just released the Florida Gator 2022 season preview. So, guys, bringing you in to talk all about it. We'll kick off preseason magazine talking season with your guys' preview. Great job there, Will, Nick. Uh, I, was, I, I was engaged with it from the very beginning uh, there. So, Will, I'll start with you. Uh, good job, man. Good job. Uh, thanks, Dave. That means a lot coming from you. Obviously, uh, you know, you're nervous whenever you put something like this out. You hope people like it. You hope it's uh, sort of meets the tone and the quality that people expect. I think that's sort of been the feedback, which has been humbling that everybody has has gotten some value out of it. And you know, we we when we started thinking about doing this, what like in January, Nick, when we started thinking about doing this, it was you know, these magazines are great. We love it every year, right? Dave, you and I go through and we read what the opposing coaches are talking about. And, you know, we get a good, a decent feel for Florida, but oftentimes it feels like it's people who tangentially know the Gators and have taken a look at some of their stats that they look at in terms of people who are returning and that sort of stuff. There's no, there's nobody who's following the team who's giving you that kind of, that kind of information. So that was really our goal. Our goal was to sort of expand that two or three pages that you'd get in a Lindy's and blow that thing out to where when you get into the season, you're going to know what you're, uh, you're going to know everything you need to know about your team. So that, that's the goal for the, uh, for the magazine. Hopefully we accomplish that. I think there's certainly some interesting nuggets in there. We'll talk about some of that tonight. Nick, man, the, the partnership with you and Will was, has really taken off there. I, di- I didn't expect anything like this. I, I'm, I'm going to assume you came along. It was all your idea and Will, and Will, and Will, and Will's just living off of it. <laughs> about time I get some credit around here, man. That's what I'm talking about, Dave. That's exactly why I came up. We had this plan all along, Will, so you're about to get sabotaged tonight. No, it's been great. Like, Will, 
Will and I, we we spitball a ton of ideas, right? There's a lot of ideas that don't even get off the chopping block, right? We we this was one though that we both. Sometimes I'll have the idea. Will's like, yeah. Sometimes I'll have it. Yeah, yeah. We'll go back and forth. But this was one we both were on board with, you know, from the second that we came up with the idea. And it was a passion project that took several months. And it was several months in the making here. Uh, but absolute blaster, right? It's awesome that it's out now. It feels weird to not be you know, working on it every night again here. But uh, I'm glad it's out. Glad it's available. And we think it's something that the Florida fan base will eat up because there's just a lot of great content in I'll get you ready here for the 2022 football season. Yeah, absolutely. You heard Will and I talk about it last week uh, when we had Donovan McMillan on. That was kind of an announcement to go along uh, with with Read Reaction uh, announcing it as well. But there you go, readreaction.com slash mag. That's where you can find it. Hundred and over 150 pages of Florida Gator goodness there. Um, just going through the table of contents. Uh, look back at last year. Um, deep dive into stats, uh, looking back at Spurrier's first year, Meyer's first year, um, just some key returnees, all the transfers coming in for Florida, looking back at the recruiting class as well. We'll get into some of that. I don't want to spoil everything out there uh, for these guys. There's a lot of content there, uh, roster breakdown, going into really a lot of specifics uh, about a lot of the players on the roster as well. A lot of one feature I really liked. It actually will make more sense if you go look at it in the preseason magazine. The plays to watch, Napier's offense, Tony's defense. Uh, so a really good look there. Um, we'll get into it later on because I got to call them out on their uh, college football final four. So we'll definitely get into that just a little <laughs> bit uh, there. But uh, one more thing we'll get into later on this episode is the All SEC. That's a big uh, kind of um, look at maybe how successful Florida will be um, when, when we look at it right there. So. Lots to get into. We'll preview the Gators starting with uh, read and reaction. Cause uh, Gators preview there. Um, so one more time, I'll throw it back up there. Find it. Readreaction.com slash mag. Guys, have you been surprised with the, the feedback there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I expected some people were going to say, ah, you know, this." whenever I put something out there, I'm, a, I'm an eternal pessimist. So it's, you know, something <laughs> and, a, and a critic, right? Self-critic. And, you know, part of that is why I stay up till two in the morning, making sure I'm editing stuff. And people email me or text me and say, you got a typo. And it like drives me crazy. So, <laughs> you know, part of me is sitting there going, oh, there's going to be typos in this thing. It's going to look unprofessional, those sorts of things. But I, I think we started to feel maybe a week or two ago that it was really starting to come together. And at that point, then it was just home stretch, put that all, you know, get it all together and make sure that we edited it to make it look good. The, the feedback's been very, very positive, and, and we couldn't be more thankful for the people who've, who've gone out there and purchased it. I had one person who purchased four, you know, one for himself and nice. three for his friends and sent them out. So that was awesome, right, to have somebody. I mean, look, it's a PDF. It's going to have your email at the bottom. So obviously, if it gets all over the Internet, we'll know who, who, who sent it everywhere. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at the same time, like, you know, if you want to share it with a friend, like, I'm okay with that. It's not that big a deal. But like Nick said, we spent a lot of time doing this. And when Whenever you put a lot of time and effort into something, you hope people enjoy it. And the interesting thing, or maybe the gratifying thing for me, is that every time someone has said something about it, they've said something different, right? Mm -hmm. So you 
you know, you told us sort of what you're going to ask us before the episode. And I go, Oh, that's interesting. That's different than the last person I talked about it who had a different angle and a different thing that they looked at and said, Hey, that's kind of unique. Um, or that's a unique, unique look at, at the particular, uh, at, at the magazine. So you know, that's been one of the cool things. I think different people, you know, you're going to look at this in the first 10 pages, you go, eh, maybe that's not something I'm really interested in, but I'm really interested in say Napier's army and who all is on the staff. And Nick did a great job of laying out that whole section. Or maybe you remember an article on reading reaction a few years ago that Bill Sykes wrote talking about how many all SEC players you need to win the conference. And then you go look at the previews that we have of basically who we think can make the all SEC and what percentage we think they get there. Right. And so those sorts of things, depending upon your, your proclivities and what you're interested in that sort of stuff, there's something in here for everybody. And that's been one of the cool things is that there's always been somebody, you know, every time I've talked to somebody, they've, they've picked out a different portion and said, this was something I enjoyed, or this is something I took away from it. Yeah, it, it, it looks really good, uh, too. So I guess I think we'll probably should make it even more clear. It is all digital uh, there. So like, as Will said, it's a PDF, all digital. The hope is, you know, talking to these guys of a physical copy next year. Uh, hey, but for you, if you want a physical copy next year, support them this year. Let them get the money up. <laughs> let them get the funds up. And you can get your physical form, physical form next year uh, in looking at it. But for, God, for, for real, Gator fans out there, you, you don't want to miss this. As I said, uh, about 150 pages there. Uh, really good look, uh, and we'll, um, we'll we'll dive into it a little bit. I'll ask their guys uh, what what their thoughts was uh, in putting in putting together uh, this big preview here. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here. Uh, throughout this episode, if you hear Nick say something. We'll say something, me say something, comment on it. We'll try and get it in here. If you have any questions, I'll try and wrap back around uh, toward the end of the episode and, and get it back in there uh, well, before we uh, sign off here on this episode. So, all right, guys, I'm going to ask you, Nick, I'll start with you here, right here. What surprised you most about this Gators team as you did all this research, all the looking, all the deep dive into this team? What surprised you the most about this Florida Gators team when putting this magazine together? Uh, well, I – the one thing that I, I really enjoyed doing, I did the 2021 review, like looking, trying to trace back what went wrong and just to see the amount of change that's occurred from the end of the season until now. I know we've been wrapped up in it all through the offseason. So, I mean, this is really a totally new product hitting the field in September here. And I'm completely fired up by that. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I, I was, I feel a little better about going into the season. I had a ton of questions about the defense in general. I feel really good about the defensive backfield. I feel pretty good about the linebackers, even though there's some inexperience there. There's just a good blend there with Ventral Miller coming back especially and really getting to know the coaches. I, I, I watched a ton of videos on you know, uh, Sean Spencer, for example, the defensive line coach and his background. It, it, he's crazy. I love watching all of his interviews. His energy is awesome. Uh, some of the other coaches, even like a, a young guy, uh, Piegler, the tight ends coach, super young guy. I found an interview. We put these little QR codes inside the magazine that you can use to get to videos. Found an in interview from Piegler from about eight or nine years ago when he was a graduate assistant at Louisiana. He looks like he's 15 years old in the interview. <laughs> and it's about – it's just a short interview, three or four minutes. But uh, really just the staff's background too, just how tied they are into the state of Louisiana – 
Uh, you know, Jabbar Jaluk, he coached at Edna Carr High School, for example, which is a really good – I don't know a ton of programs in the state of Louisiana. I've heard of Edna Carr before out of New Orleans. He won state titles there. He was there uh, – he won one state title there. He was there for about eight or nine years. So a lot of these guys, deep, deep Louisiana ties on this staff, which is something that I vaguely knew, but reading just how deep was, was a little bit uh, – you know, getting everybody's backgrounds and everything – uh, particularly from the staff's perspective. The other thing, too, you hear a lot of talk about Napier's Army, and I went through and I tried to outline. I went through the website, and I grabbed every name I could off the website and outlined who they are and kind of what they do. So if you want to know and put a face in a job title to a lot of these uh, quote-unquote Army roles, we got a whole section on that, breaking that down, and I found that to be uh, absolutely fascinating. Good stuff. Good stuff. Will, anything coaching staff team wise that uh, surprised you when putting this magazine together. I know, we'll get into the stats a little bit here. There was a, a few stats. I know you put in there. Uh, that'd be kind of where we move on next, but anything that surprised you, I guess, positively or negatively negatively about this Gator team when putting this magazine together. I mean, the big thing that surprised me is that when you looked at the quarterback play, it really wasn't that bad in relation to the overall SEC. And part of that is, is because Anthony Richardson sort of propped up the quarterback play. But even Emory Jones was you know, sort of in the middle of the pack. And when you looked at how the offenses performed in the SEC, they performed basically in the same order as the QB rating of the starting quarterbacks. So Tennessee had a really good offense last year because Hendon Hooker was a really good player. Same thing with Stetson Bennett played pretty well for Georgia, and Georgia had a really good offense. Bryce Young, K.J. Jefferson, and Matt Corral were the top five. So those guys sit there in you know, the, basically the top order there. And then there's sort of that next slate of teams. And you look at where Florida sits, and you're like, you're not that far away. You know, Emory Jones' QB rating was 142. Stetson Bennett's 176. You know, KJ Jefferson's 164. You don't, and, and, uh, and Anthony Richardson was like 144 for the year. So if Richardson improves just a little bit from where he was last year, he doesn't have to improve a ton. He just has to improve a little bit. And this offense is going to be significantly better because of that. And I guess that was sort of the surprise. I figured when I looked at it that Florida's quarterback play was going to be the thing that was specifically holding them back. Um, from a rate standpoint, that's not necessarily true. Now, certainly the turnovers and and the red zone struggles and all those sorts of things are things that they're going to need to work on and things that they're going to need to improve on. But I think the thing that surprised me, and there are some other stats we'll talk about, the thing that surprised me is I don't think that, that they're that far away from an elite offense, and it's hard to believe that after watching the Missouri game and the Florida State or and the Florida State game and the Kentucky game last year. But I don't think they're that far away from having an offense that everybody struggles to stop. Well, I'm glad you said that. Well, one of the key stats I want everybody to to get in the magazine. I didn't include it here in this episode because the the red zone numbers were. Where, where they were kind of eye popping and let you know, uh, well, you know, the, the quarterbacks could get them to the red zone, mainly Emory Jones would get them to the red zone and just completely fall apart uh, there. So I think that's uh, you got some good stats in, in looking at that. But speaking of stats, that's where we'll go. My main one of my main takeaways is early on in the uh, in the preview magazine as well. Uh, some takeaways here against FBS opponents, the Gators averaged six point two yards per play. They ranked twenty first in the country versus averaging 27.4 points per game. So 6.2 yards per play, that ranked 21st, but only was good for 27.4 points per game. That ranked 61st in the country. So there was not a direct positive correlation between yards per play and points per game. This one right here was what blew my mind. 
That is the fifth largest disconnect between points per game and yards per play rankings in the entire country behind Kansas State, UTEP, TCU, Nebraska. I guess, you know, you got to be in Big 12 country to uh, really uh, get to, to, to be part of that. But Florida was not, you know, you, you look <laughs> Kansas State, UTEP, TCU, Nebraska, uh, all right there. But perhaps not surprisingly, you guys said none of these teams ended up in the top 25 at the end of the year. Uh, so not, not many teams with that correlation there. Being able to, most of the time, yards per play correlates to points per game. Not doing it, not doing so there. So kind of, uh, kind of going back to one of Will's points there. Uh, but Will, you did point out, or um, I, I guess I, I don't know who who wrote this part, Will or Nick, with the the stats there. This is gonna be if it's the stats part, it's Will. Okay, well there we go. <laughs> uh, so going to the Emory Jones part, Will says if the new quarterback can just replicate Jones' performance but be more effective in the red zone, the Gators' offense would jump to scoring around 34 points per game. That would compare quite favorably to points scored by Mullins' offenses in 2018, 30.8, 2019, 31.7, and 2020, 39.8 there. So I think we kind of knew going back and looking at last year, yeah, we know Florida should have done better in the red zone. That should have correlated to more points. Yards per play, well, as you said, it wasn't really that bad. It just got bogged down in certain areas. Yeah, so I'm actually writing an article right now on Utah versus Florida and looking at that one, and it's really interesting because on a yards per play basis, on the offensive side of the ball, Utah's was ranked 20th and Florida was ranked 21st. But, but in points per game, Utah was ranked 13th and Florida was ranked 61st against FBS opponents. That's the difference between the two teams. Like when you when you look at it, their ability to convert. And so there's this great there's this great site called collegefootballdata.com and they have a stat called points per opportunity. So it's every time you get past the opponent's 40, how many points did you score for those opportunities? Mm. And Utah averages averaged last year 4.5 points per opportunity. Florida averaged 3.8 if you take Samford and Weber State out of those out of those equations. So against FBS opponents. So that essentially 0.7 points is the difference between those two teams. If you figure you're getting five, six, seven opportunities past the opponent's 40, you know, then that was the difference between Utah and Florida. And I think when you start looking at those two teams opening up the season, you say, hey, look, if Napier can fix that, then these teams are really, really close to each other. And that's what the stats are really saying. Like if you look at the SEC, so you mentioned 21st in yards per play, 61st in points per game. That's a 40-spot difference. The next closest is South Carolina at 16. And then after Oof. that, Arkansas at 14. So Florida was more than twice as bad as anybody else in the conference at converting the yardage they were getting into points. And that, you know, I wrote an article a couple of months ago on Read and Reaction that specifically looked at red zone performance. And I think Emory Jones' red zone QB rating was like 170, which 170 is not bad. But Anthony Richardson was like 288. <laughs> and and the point is is that when the field constricts, Richardson has the arm to get it in there. He seems to make the decisions quicker, and he gets the ball to the guy that he needs to get it to. And so um, I'm I'm really bullish on Richardson being able to turn in a good performance this year, just because even if Florida just regresses to the mean, like if if they regress back to where, like let's say they're worse on a point on a yards per play rank, they get to like you know 35th. The offense overall will still be better. 
because you expect those numbers to match, right? The points per game versus the yards per play. They were so much worse at converting the yardage into, into points last year that they're not going to be able to help but be better. And so on the offensive side of the ball, I really expect Florida to be way, way better, not just because of Anthony Richardson, but because of just in general. If I looked at these stats and Emory Jones was coming back at the starter, I'd say they're going to be better this year just because no one has that kind of disconnect. Nick, I think uh, later on in the episode, too, it was pointed out that Billy Napier has a lot of success in the red zone. So that's where you hope it correlates. Florida had big red zone issues last year, and there was a part later on in the magazine that points out, hey, hey, Billy Napier's been pretty successful in the red zone pretty much his whole career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, not too shabby either, bringing a guy over with him from Louisiana, Montreal Johnson, big fella. In the, in the red zone is going to be nice this year. Not that we did have Damian Pierce last year for when we chose to use him. Uh, but Johnson, that, that running back room inside uh, on top of Richardson inside the, inside the red zone, it's going to be lethal this year. Absolutely looking forward to that. Got to find some weapons in the passing game, uh, going through the entire roster, top to bottom there. It, it really, we've talked about it at length. I mean, I, last time I was on the show when we talked about the offense too, there's still a lot of ifs. Uh, love the Pearsall addition to the receiver room. I think that's going to bolster some mismatches on the inside. But it's a lot, lot of questions in there. But I, I, I like what Will's pointing out there with the, it, you know, can't get much worse in the red zone than we were last year. And if we could just pick that up a little bit, cut back on the mistakes. You can see where there's real room for optimism and we're not just being, you know, with having the orange and blue tinted glasses on. Yeah, I think we saw last year when Richardson did get in that situation, there was some success. As you said, probably should have leaned on the run game a little bit more last year. That won't be an issue with Billy Napier. (laughs) He's going to lean on the run game. (laughs) That's just his MO. I won't go say – I'm not going to say he's run heavy. I'll I'll keep saying that, but he will be run first. Uh, And I think he'll be pretty smart about it too, as you said, Montreal Johnson coming in uh, to kind of help out there. Uh, Maybe getting Lingard and Bowman on the edges and spreading some defenses out east to west uh, with this offense as well. Uh, So some things to look forward to in Florida kind of – making sure they don't replicate the woes of uh, the red zone last year and kind of following Billy Napier's MO of being pretty good uh, in the red zone. So let's move to the other side of the ball, some key stats here. For the Gators' defense, Will says, I think top 25 is reasonable given the statistical profile. After what we've seen the last two years, it might be hard to believe, but I was high on this defense last year. So uh, I'm hoping a new look everything uh, will just make me a year late on that. On, on that. <laughs> but uh, where the problem really lies, I'm glad Will put, pointed this out, explosive plays. Gators ranked 49th in giving up 10-plus yard plays, then 73rd, 91st, and 94th in giving up 20-plus yards, 30-plus yards, and 40-plus yards. I mean – Oof. I mean, no, nowhere near just giving up big play after big play. And not really much in the passing game. A lot of big, big runs uh, from opposing offenses out there. So just getting worse there at every 10-yard increment uh, right there for the Gator uh, defense. So, look, guys, I think we go back and you look at that. If you're giving up, if you're that awful, if you're ranked in the 70s and the 90s giving up 30-yard plays and 40-yard plays. Look, that's just not a physicality problem. It's not just a communication problem. It's not just a depth problem. It's not just a scheme problem. you got to be bad in all those categories to be giving up 
that many big explosive plays uh, when, when you when you look at this Gator defense. Look, we know they lost their way uh, through, through throughout. Uh, 2021. Yeah, Anthony gets fired, and we saw what Samford done to this Gator defense uh, in, in that game. But we we know just how bad it was. But you know, you, you're not pointing the finger at just hey, this guy's not playing. You know, th- that guy shouldn't be playing. They, this guy should be playing. Or the physicality problem. Or as we heard Donovan McMillan saying, they didn't tackle uh, have enough tackle reps uh, in practice. It's all those issues combined uh, there. But you know, looking at that stat, that's what really blew my mind. I, I, I had no idea that the explosive plays were that big of an issue when you start comparing it to other defenses out there in the country. Well, you know what blew my mind is that they were 44th in points per game and 39th in yards per play. I thought they were way worse than that, right? Just just my perception is they were really bad, and they were really bad against the run, <laughs> giving up four and a half yards per rush, 85th in yards per play allowed against on the ground. And that's where those big plays came in. And heck, they probably would have led the league in big plays given up if they'd have just had if they'd only played the LSU game. But but you know, this is look, they were not a terrible defense. They were an extraordinarily inconsistent defense that couldn't get off the field because they couldn't stop the run. Right. Anytime it was third and four, it was a first down because you just hand the ball off and it turns into a first down. So it's actually, I think, a promising thing that the secondary was 18th in yards against the pass. And we start thinking about who's coming back and we think about who's going to contribute that contributed last year. It's almost all guys in the secondary outside of Brenton Cox and Gravon Dexter. It's pretty much everybody in the secondary. So you got Torrance and you got Marshall and you've got Helm and you've got Dean and you've got all these guys who played pretty well in the secondary last year, top 20 against, against the pass. And so, you look at it and say, all right, well, who departed? Well, you got the three defensive tackles who transferred in who have departed. Well, were they really difference makers? No. So can we have somebody step up there? Maybe. You know, Gravon Dexter has another year where he's been getting where he's been getting in the weight room, getting stronger, and hopefully now he can deal with the triple teams that he saw last year. <laughs> and and then, you know, I don't know what to make of guys like Tyron Hopper and guys like Diabate, because I think they're extraordinarily gifted players at the same time. You get run over on a counter over and over and over again. Yeah, the defensive line has something to do with that, but the linebackers have something to do with it too. And there's a toughness. Well, before you go of- further, before you go further with that, you said you're writing your uh, Utah preview. Florida and Billy Napier should just run the counter play at Diabate until he proves he can stop it. Now, I'm not running another play until that happens. <laughs> uh, either that or either that or send a running back out and make him make him sit in coverage. There are a few ways that you might be able to isolate him. But <laughs> there we go. Um, look, I mean, I think I think. I think there was there were definitely people who were tuning out Todd Grantham, and I'm assuming that that Diabate was one of them, given some of the comments that he made yeah. when, when Grantham when Grantham was let go. So I don't think you can necessarily just just do that. But you know, Q Lee in the comments just said Diabate isn't a linebacker. He's absolutely right. He came in sort of as an edge rusher, right? And they mm-hmm. tried to make him into a linebacker. A guy like Wingo came in as a linebacker, right? So you start bringing in – you got Ventro Miller still here. You bring in – you know, you start giving playing time to Wingo. You know, the one black comes in. That guy's going to be a linebacker. So these guys who are now no longer tweeners, these are guys who have the physical skills to play that position, are going to be there. Are they going to make some mistakes? Absolutely, because you're going to make physical mistakes when you're in the SEC. The question is, is Patrick Tony able to communicate to them to the point where they're not making mental mistakes? Because last year a lot of that stuff was mental mistakes, right? Not holding the edge – not you know, sort of trying to skirt uh, a pulling guard instead of taking him on and and busting up, you know, basically sticking him in the hole, and you know that just didn't happen. So I think there's an opportunity for the defense to get better. I don't think they're going to be fantastic, 
but I don't think you have to be fantastic in order for this team to be really, really good. I think you just have to sort of be able to secure something like a top 30 or a top 25 finish. And then the whole season hinges on how good the offense is and particularly how good the offense is when you play Georgia, when you play Texas A&M. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Nick, anything about those big busted plays that Gators gave up last year that you feel better about this year? The interior part of the defensive line is still the most concerning to me outside of Dexter, of course. Dexter, I I am a firm believer that outside of injury, he's going to work his way into the first round of the draft. The guy that big who moves that fast when he wants to turn it on, he just seems to show up in the moments where he wants to. Can he take it up another level? I mean, statistically, he, he had a real nice season last year. Even though at times it was frustrating with this defense, he did have a good season statistically. He showed up on that stat sheet for a defensive tackle. Um, look, I, I, I think there's some there, there's a lot of reasons for optimism in terms of the leadership turnover. Uh, you, you heard guys did, didn't McMillan tell you guys that they, they just have simplified things in gen- general in that interview where he said it was just the, the teaching was a little bit more yeah. clear, and uh, I, I think that was something you heard a lot last year with the. Maybe it's too complicated. Grantham's defense might be a little too much to install for the short amount of time that these college coaches have with the guys. And well, Nick, I, one thing we hear, like we hear that the defense isn't that different; it's taught different. Well, my favorite yeah. part was that my favorite part was that he said that they're actually teaching them to tackle, <laughs> like <laughs> that they're teaching them to go for the hip, and you know that 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 the takedown was not for the big hit. It was, you know, come up, fundamentally make the tackle and make sure you're tracking the guy's hip and taking the right angle and those sorts of things. I think the way they've communicated how they want them to tackle is indicative of probably how they're communicating the defense, sort of what you were getting at there, Dave. Yeah, you just want, as long as things, you feel like as long as things get simplified this year a little bit to where, I feel like last year there wasn't so many instances where you go back to 2020 and there were just wide open plays. Last year there was instances where that Tennessee game had a couple that didn't get executed, right? Uh, But there was not as many instances last year, but then there were big holes in the running game. So, yeah, just uh, the big play on the ground and the big play through the air the last two years just killed us on defense and I think from everything you read about Patrick Tony, Will's got a good article in there about you know the creepers and everything else with the Tony defense to break it down. I I think Tony d- does a good job of slowing things down this year. Good stuff, good stuff. So all right, keep it going here. And hey, look, I even made an appearance in the magazine. There was an Ask the Experts section in there featuring Thomas Goldcamp. Man, he's leaving 24-7 sports, so dagger to the heart right there. Uh, but uh, myself, Thomas Goldcamp, uh, in there with the Ask the Expert. Ask, man, tongue twister there for me. <laughs> ask the Expert section uh, of, the, uh, of the magazine. So you asked us expectations in Napier's first season, key games on the 2022 schedule, a breakout player, 
and some bold predictions. So, guys, if you want that, uh, if you want my thoughts on that out there, that's in the magazine. One we will preview here. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on. One surprise for me in the magazine is the breakout player part. Thomas and I both went with a defensive end. Had we didn't talk to each other beforehand or anything like that. I went with Tyreek Sapp, you know, kind of to build off of his spring game. I like that one. Yeah. Built off that spring game performance. Uh, Thomas went with another at the position. I won't give it away right there. Uh, won't be too hard to figure out, of course. But if I went with one defensive end, he does go with another. So we were both high on the breakout potential from that position group. We all know Florida needs help at the defensive tackle position, uh, as you mentioned, Nick, there. But just might have some pieces up front to help out at the end position uh, for the defense. So – since you guys asked me those questions, I won't ask you all of them. Who is your breakout player going to be for this Gator team? But Thomas and I both went defense. Both of us went defensive end. Didn't go offense here, but who are um, just one breakout player? Uh, you, you could go multiple here, of course, but one breakout player from each of you as you went through this 2022 preview. Go ahead, Nick. Who, who I hope it is, I, I want it to be DeWan Black. Okay. Everything you read about the guy, everything you see, like he has got the ability to cover. If he can become that type of linebacker that can kind of do it all, I, I think DeWan Black, everything you read about the guy, he sounds like he's got next level ability and he just hasn't been able to figure it out on the field yet here. Uh, I'm very anxious to see how he plays this year. So if I if I go for one breakout player on the defensive side, it'd be DeWan Black. I do think – I don't think it's his uh, a monster name or anything right now, but – uh, Montreal Johnson, I mentioned him earlier. He, he's technically the most experienced running back, even though he's only a sophomore. He's a true sophomore, most experienced running back last year, most carries last year, uh, coming back for, for 2021, most carries in 2021 of all the backs in this backfield. So I'm very anxious to see how he fits in. And I think those two guys, hoping those two guys uh, pop this year. Yeah, I got, I got Ethan White at guard. And the reason is, is because of one of the stats I highlighted in the preview. He started the first seven games last year before he got injured. The Gators averaged 6.3 yards per attempt on the ground while he was in there. That dropped almost two yards in attempt after he went out with an injury. And you think about what Napier is going to try to do. You think about what they were able to do up front against Alabama and where they were just blowing guys off the ball and Alabama could not stop them in the second half. And all of a sudden that ends when White's gone, right? They couldn't run against Missouri. They couldn't run against Florida State. Now, part of that was they didn't want to give Damian Pierce the ball for some strange reason. But some of it was that the offensive line just wasn't getting the push without White White being in there. And I know there's been a lot of attention paid to Osiris Torrance, and that guy's going to play in the league. At the same time, I think Ethan White, over the last couple of years, he's dealt with injuries, but he's won the job both years and just hasn't, you know, the first year wasn't able to play because he got hurt in camp, and last year was out after the first seven games and sort of was trying to work his way back. I think Florida's going to be able to run the ball, and if Ethan White can stay healthy with him, Torrance, and Eglikin there in the center, that's where the, uh, you know, that that's where the talent on that offensive line really lies, and I think that's where Napier's going to try to take advantage of it, particularly now that you're getting into this zone scheme. That you know, if those three guys are in sync in terms of being able to run the zone scheme, I think you could look back at the end of the year and go, "Wow, Florida's interior offensive line was a big reason why they were able to be successful." Especially when you think about what Anthony Richardson does, right? I mean, his ability to hold the defensive ends 
really sort of prevents the offensive line from having to deal with some of the pressure that you get from other places. And the zone scheme is designed to you just block the guy who's in front of you. And so with Richardson being able to hold the back end, the offensive line being able to slide in one direction and really being able to get downhill, I think Ethan White has an opportunity to be, you know, potentially an all SEC caliber player. And that's the guy that I'd be looking for to break out just because we know Napier's going to put the ball on the ground. And so if you got both guards playing at an all SEC level, then you're going to have a really successful offense if you're trying to run this offense. All right, starting here with Commodus Cross on the YouTube comments. He goes, we need Marcus Burke to step up this year at wide receiver. Look, that would be great too. If any, if, if any of the wide receivers out there we can consider a breakout player by the time we get to the end of the year, that's a that's good sign for Florida, I, I think. Because as Will said, we know the run game would be there. If we're sitting here at the end of the year and somebody like Marcus Burke is the breakout player of the season for Florida – that's probably a really, really good sign for the skater offense uh, at the same time. But also, you know, George put out, you know, is it cheating if you go Anthony Richardson? I mean, because we all know the potential. <laughs> but I don't think you can – did, did he play enough last year to consider – was he a breakout player last year? Did he play enough to get that designation? If he didn't, then, of course, you know, I think he's everybody's top that, that you go there. But – you know, that, that is a, there is one way of looking at Anthony Richardson because if you don't think he played enough last year, a lot of people, of course, don't, don't think he did. Uh, but, you know, he's a top five quarterback in some mock drafts for next year. He's a top five quarterback in the, in the SEC in the, in the country uh, when you look at it. So, you know, it, it is kind of funny the way you would look at it if you would consider Anthony Richardson a breakout player. Uh, that's our greatest hope in, in being an elite team this year. Yes, Anthony Richardson does not break out and play at an elite level this year. It'll be an interesting season. Will it be another interesting season? But if he he's our hope to go to that next level. So it's an interesting topic because do we want him to be? And <laughs> that's weird for me to say. Yes, but I I almost mean. and and I get it right. I would love for him to be awesome and all that stuff. But that means he's a top ten draft pick next year and he ain't coming back. Yes, is is there a benefit to him sort of Joe Burrowing it this year in his first year at LSU, looking at it and going, wow, this guy has all the skills, but he needs somebody from Central Florida to like bust him in the chops to get him going for the next year or something. And you know, like the last four games of Burrow's season in 2018, he was unbelievable. And he carried that over into 2019 and all of a sudden as a Heisman level campaign with all of the talent around him that LSU had been able to surround him with. The question I have is, do I want Richardson to be a breakout player? Because I kind of want him to be a breakout player in 2023 when Napier has the team around him that a Heisman level performance gets Florida somewhere as opposed to having to restart with a new quarterback next year and sort of dipping back into asking the same questions, right? Do we have the quarterback play who's going to be able to carry us? Because, look, the talent level is not going to be high enough to where you don't have – where you don't need the quarterback to carry you over the next couple of years. It's just the way it goes. And so it, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think um, – I think Richardson is going to be a breakout player from the standpoint of you're going to get a lot of highlights. The question is going to be consistency level. And I don't know. I'm a little bit conflicted because if he just shows flashes and is good enough to make us really excited about 2023, that's probably good long term. At the same time, let's go beat Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> so. I'll, I'll cash in the breakout season. I'll cash yeah, in that ticket every me time. Too. I, me too. Yeah. Who's played defensive tackle in 2023, Will? 
You just only that. This 2023 I mean, team. Come on. Got, I, 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 said this in the, I said this in my draft preview a few weeks ago. I mean, Florida could lose three offensive linemen going into next year, too. Yeah. I mean, so. There's like, no guarantees there. Yeah. There's no, you cash that ticket every time. Who'd Auburn lose before Cam Newton came in there? <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> He's here now. Do it. We got a year. We got a year ahead of us still. This is your first. Is. This is the first Florida Gator 2023 preview on the internet right now. <laughs> it is a fascinating topic, though. You know, like how good do you want Anthony Richardson to be? But uh, just because you want him for 2023 as well. So I do want to go back to one thing earlier. Is that my you know my impression? So the person who talked about Marcus Burke, I think that's important because when you look at his profile in 24 seven or you look at anybody who sort of analyzed him, one of the things they talk about is it looks like he's got a second gear. And in that South Carolina game, he beat South Carolina deep. He beat double coverage deep. He And the one that he actually caught came right after he'd been overshot by Emory Jones in that game too. And so if Florida, if Burke can be a guy who can take the top off the defense, if all he does is run straight and has a second gear, that's, you know, that's fantastic, right? Like I don't know that he needs to be this like, awesome route runner or anything like that. You'd have to teach him a back shoulder fade and a go, right? And if he can take the top off the defense, that adds a dimension that Florida does not have with the other guys who were in there. Mm -hmm. So uh, that to me is the thing that I'd be looking for either in fall camp or in the first couple of games is are they sending him deep and is he able to beat the corner and is he able to beat the safety when the safety's there too? And if he can outrun those guys, he could be a real addition to the, to the offense, even if he's raw. And again, I have no idea whether he's progressed and what he's what he's doing as a route runner and those sorts of things. But out of all the guys that you look at on the roster at the wide receiver position, Burke is the one guy who I look at and say, I think he might have the speed to be that guy. And guys like Shorter and guys like Pearsall are solid receivers, but I don't think they have that kind of speed. All right. One more question that you asked us, I'll ask you guys. Key game. Key game for the 2022. Florida Gators. Go for it, Nick. I'll start with you. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, that's actually a really tough question this year. Because normally is. you could sit there and be like, well, the first three weeks are, you know, FAU and the da da da. But I, I, I have to go out the gate. If you set the tone early with the 2 0 start with Kentucky, if you can finish that Kentucky game, uh, or even, I'm going to say Kentucky overall. Because Kentucky, if you can get a win, that's your first SEC win. That's the momentum going into Tennessee. But if you, especially if you beat Utah and then you top it off by beating Kentucky, that's a nice one-two punch out the gate. And I think that gives this team a lot of confidence going into Tennessee. I think the Tennessee thing is nice. It's nice that they've risen. I think I said in the Tennessee preview that the media is all excited because Tennessee has finally risen to mediocrity. And uh, so <laughs> for, the, the hype. for the eighth time in the last you know, nine years. <laughs> yeah. Call it the hype trade. Hype train. Got to trademark that. Josh Heupel, the hype train up there in Knoxville. That's going to be a tough crowd, though, because especially Tennessee plays Pitt that same day that uh, Florida plays Kentucky. Yep. And if they if they could get by Pitt on the road, they'll have some confidence coming in. This could honestly set up the biggest Florida-Tennessee game in probably since Lane Kiffin came to the Swamp. In 2009, so it, it could be a very big game in Knoxville. So it's it's a hard question because, of course, the easy answer that you want to go for every year is Georgia, right? But I'm going to go Kentucky this year because it's early, and if you do lose the Utah game, you don't want to start 0-2. Mm -hmm. So either way, win or losing that Utah game, that Kentucky game is going to be critical 
to get off to a, a good start this season. Will, what's yeah, your key game? I think it's at Texas A&M, right? You figure South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Florida, and at Florida State. It's at Vandy, but come on, who cares? So South Carolina at Vandy at Florida State. You figure those are wins, right? You pencil that in for a win. If you finish the season at A&M versus South Carolina at Vandy and at Florida State, you finish that 4-0. Like that is a significant finish to the season, irrespective of what happened before. Right now, I get it. The at Tennessee, hey, Hypel, you got Hooker playing really well. Your defense has gotten torched all the last couple of years, and this is an opportunity to make a statement. Same thing versus Utah, but that one's at home. And, you know, the whole team's going to be hyped. And honestly, I don't think Utah's quite as good as people think they are. Um, and we'll get into that in an article later this week. Um, Georgia, I think, you know, we all know that Florida is probably a couple years away from really competing with Georgia extensively. LSU, I mean, come on, Brian Kelly's going to do some weird dance beforehand. We're going to make fun of him. And, you know, that'll sort of be the extent <laughs> of that one. So, um, yeah, I, I just look at it and I say, at the end of the day, if you look at the schedule, let's say Florida ends up three and three. Would it be six games going into there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Right. So let's say they're four and four coming into there and they finish those last four on a four game winning streak. You're eight and four. You feel really good about yourself. If you go into that five and three and you win them, now you're nine and three. You feel really good about yourself. And if you're six and two coming into there, even with a loss to Georgia and potentially somebody else, and you win those four, now you're 10 and two and you're feeling really, really good about yourself. I think. You know, look, there, there's certainly when Utah comes, I'm going to feel like that's the biggest one. When Tennessee comes, I'm going to feel like that's the biggest one. But I think when I look at the schedule at Texas A&M, you know, Jimbo with his 47 five-star guys that Nick Saban says he's bought, you know, those are the types of teams you're going to have to beat. And let's be honest, A&M has been okay. They have not been elite in the SEC. And so – you know, I don't think Max Johnson is going to make them an elite team this year. And if you get Max Johnson in college station, you got to win that game, especially if Anthony Richardson's going to be a guy who's going to, you know, if, if he's going to step up like Nick and Nick wants him to step up, then you got to win that game at college station. I, I, I still have nightmares about Max Johnson. You're right now 2 0 against the Gators, Will. Well, I mean, Johnson nightmares. I'm very confident that, <laughs> to that Tony won't send a <laughs> double. Yeah, I'm very confident that Tony will not send a double corner blitz with no safety help. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Those are that was a couple of questions I asked those guys that they asked me. As I said, uh, I'm featured in there. Expectations for Napier's first season, key games on the schedule, breakout players, some bold predictions that you can find uh, in the preview as well. So all right, let's move forward to another section. Uh, a little bit of time left here. Uh, Will you mentioned earlier the Bill Sykes article about all SEC and kind of the parameters you would need to be. Uh, at to have a successful season uh, in the SEC. So we started, you guys listed your all SEC. Kind of looking at it, there's not a lot of candidates for a first team all SEC. Um, you know, if, if you want to start adding Florida players to it, you probably are going second team, third team before you start getting the numbers that you are starting to look at to have a successful season. 
Osiris Torrance, I think, is somebody we all have pointed out to be a, a first-team All-SEC. Uh, kind of to preview Lindy's, Lindy's had him as a first-team All-American. Whew. So high praise there for Osiris Torrance um, when you want to start looking at these preseason magazines coming out. So I did pick up Lindy's, and that was one of the big takeaways was Florida does have an All-American, and it's the transfer from Louisiana, Osiris Torrance. Also, I think you have to throw in Jervon Dexter as a first-team um, candidate for, for the SEC by the time we get to the end of the season. I know a lot of people would disagree, but I think a key stat that could prop him up there would be Brenton Cox just because of the sack numbers that he could produce. May not be the all-around player a lot of people want him to be. I think we'll, we'll see if he can get to that point of his career. But if those sack numbers are pretty high, like, uh, like they were last year and maybe predicting to be this year, I think a lot of people would take notice of that. If he has that, you know, 10, 11, 12 sack season, then I think he could probably get some mention there. And I'm going to go, I'm going to reach probably a little bit by the time we get to the end of the season. I'm going to go, I'm going to throw Jason Marshall up there. I am very high on Jason Marshall. Uh, I'll, I'll say he will be pushing for that first team, second team, uh, all SEC. But I think then, I think when you start looking at it, I hope Anthony Richardson's there. I would probably peg him at the end of the season. I'm going to, I'm going to peg him to be second or third. Just Bryce Young's going to be hard hard to get out of that number one all sec uh spot there i think richard garage is another name uh, i look at ethan white so uh, another name one of the running backs i think you could probably start looking at second team third team all sec ventro miller rashad torrance i think that's i think you start looking at the nucleus of gator players the ones i just named right there not many first teamers but i do think you can start filling in second third teamers or second third teamers with those guys yeah, Will Will did a great breakdown. Uh, he went through individual candidates. I'll I'll let him talk about that section where he actually went through. Here's the case for how they can make it. Here's the percentage that I actually think they make it uh, toward the All SEC and to be named an All SEC player. Uh, I selected. We did our top to bottom selections though for offense and defense. And this is again for the end of the year selections here. I did have Jervon Dexter listed Marshall. I was so close to putting him on, but he one interception last year. Dave, I would like to see that interception numbers come up a little bit. Yep. And Cox is also a great candidate too. Will had him listed there and he, you did have Marshall in that first team there. Will as well on the offensive side of the ball. We both had Torrance from Florida section. Uh, will threw Lingard in there. Uh, I'll let him. I'll let him explain that one. And then uh, I, I went. I went. Will Rogers at, from Mississippi State over Bryce Young at quarterback. A little bit different, but if you throw their stats up, which I did in the Heisman section, uh, the article just before it, Will Rogers. If you look at his stats next to Bryce Young's, about a hundred yards less passing and and uh, eleven fewer TDs. So you got to yeah. think those numbers might change a little bit. And about a thousand Rogers. more attempts. Yeah, he averages like yeah. six and a half yards per attempt. I, I understand, but you you guys are are acting like Heisman voters are educated people watching all these things. They're looking at the numbers at the end of the day. So if, if Bryce Young's – and they don't like voting for two-time Heisman winners either. So I, th I think at least for – I don't know. I'm not going to get so high on Will Rogers. I'm thinking he's going to uh, win the Heisman. But for all SEC, I, I think the stats could blind some people, and I, I think he could definitely uh, – Sneak in there and swoop a first team, uh, some first team votes there from Bryce Young. Dark horse. And, I should, and, I, and yeah, and I should put the disclaimer: you guys only did first team. You didn't do second or third team. So right, that that it kind of goes out there. If you're not hearing many Gator 
names from these two guys. Correct. So I have Lingard at running back, and I don't know why I have to explain this. The guy, I mean, as long as he can stay healthy, um, you know, two years ago, he got a, you know, he's still coming off the knee injury a little bit. He got a couple of carries against Vanderbilt, and I'm like, he just looks different. And, you know, everybody laughed at me. Just wait. He looks different. He is somebody who looks different when he gets the ball in his hands. Everybody said that about Bowman, but I've seen it with Lingard. And so I think he's going to be really good this year. Torrance is the easy pick, right? I think he sort of goes in as the favorite, and he's going to have to really fall flat or get injured to not be a first-team All-SEC. Brenton Cox, he made second-team All-SEC two years ago. And so the talent is there. He's made it before. And then Jason Marshall, I think everybody's really high on him. The other guys I think might be on the outside looking in or maybe end up with a second team. Um, Guys like Ethan White, I mentioned earlier. I think Rashad Torrance, obviously, you mentioned him, Dave. The other guy I think that might really get a nod is Jadon Hill. I think a lot of people forget Mm. that Jadon Hill had that job at the other corner Mm -hmm. one at the end of last year or at the beginning of last year and then got injured. And then they brought in Avery Helm and other guys. And one of the reasons Marshall got to play as much as he did is because Jalen Hill was out. But if Hill comes back and he's full strength, I think he's going to win that other job. And I think you might find that Florida has two lockdown corners because Hill's out there. Again, I think we're sort of looking at this through orange and blue glasses in some capacity saying this is what we're projecting going to happen. Um, The other thing that I would say is that I know everybody gets all tied up into all SEC, and you should, right, because that translates into winning. And some of it is, you know, the winning players get voted to all SEC as well. But you can you can track that and kind of know what you need to get in order to be successful. But the other thing you should look at is this is the freshman All SEC team. One of the hallmarks of Florida in the past under Mullen is that they did not play freshmen very much, and so there weren't a lot of guys who made the freshman All SEC team. In fact, I think the only guy who did in Mullen's tenure was Kyrie Elam. And look at Elam; he's a first round draft pick, right? And somebody who was always perennially, perennially on these All SEC lists, even if he wasn't, even if he got injured and didn't make it last year. So I think that's what you want to look at this year. I think, yeah, it's important. Okay, Torrance makes the All SEC team. That's great. I mean, we're going to beat our chest and say that's awesome. But if you get a guy like Kamari Wilson, who makes All SEC freshman, well, what that portends is that he's going to be able to make All SEC in his sophomore and junior year, and that's really what you're looking for, right? Is the build. And so, you know, we've predicted what the All SEC team is going to look like in this magazine, and, and that's fun. But when I really look at where it's important, a lot of the people I have on my list for all sec this year are people who were freshmen all sec two years ago Mm -hmm. and i said look those guys are going to take the leap because they've already shown they can compete in the conference at a pretty high level now they just have to take the leap to be able to be a junior who can play at that level in the entire conference rather than just with his freshman class and that's where i think we're going to see it so again if you're looking for um if you're looking for hope for next year one of the things you want to look at is that freshman all sec class and how that translates there we go. Look at all SEC uh, right there. So one more topic I want to hit in the preseason magazine, and then we'll get to uh, a little bit of Jaden Rashada news. Uh, commit, uh, hopefully commit for the Gators uh, coming up on June 18th. Quarterback out there. We'll get into hopefully his visit schedule coming up uh, next week. But all right, you guys threw out your final four for the college football playoff. And Will goes all crazy on this and puts <laughs> – Oregon has the number one overall seed in the college football playoff versus his number four seed, Wisconsin, and number two, Alabama, number three, Clemson. Will, what in the world, Oregon and Wisconsin? 
So Oregon is a Mario Cristobal sucks pick. He's leaving, and all of a sudden Oregon's going to be better. <laughs> so that's strictly just you know Miami hate. Wisconsin, because with Nick as my colleague, I can't possibly pick Ohio State to go to the playoffs because you'll never hear him shut up because he grew up a Buckeyes fan. So really, I'm limited. And and Alabama and Clemson make it every year, so you have to pick those two, right? So, so, so and I can't pick Georgia like that. That isn't happening. I mean, look, Georgia's going to be the SEC runner-up yet again, and this time they're not going to make it into the playoff. And so, who look, do they Alabama, open the season with, Will? Who who does Georgia open the season with? Yeah, is it Oregon? Is that it's it is Oregon. Oregon? It's, it's Oregon. Oregon. Sweet. Yeah. Well, then we'll know after week one whether I'm right. That's that's, that's for sure. Now, you know what? I, I think it really comes down to Utah won the Pac-12 last year. I don't think Utah's going to be that great this year. I, I think it's it's interesting to see where well, they you better give Florida year. a whole lot of credit. They beat Utah week one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't think Utah's all that great. I mean, look, I think you beat it. You beat it. You beat a team that's ranked in the top twenty-five. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of credit because last year we would have been like, oh god, what's going to happen when Utah comes here? Um, and in fact, I know I saw people on Twitter who were saying that. Going, I don't know if we want to start off the year with them next yeah. year. That's going to be rough. Um, so yeah, if you win that game, you need some credit. But I, I think the Pac-12 in, in many cases is going to be pretty top-heavy, and I think Oregon's going to have an opportunity to, to jump forward and not necessarily lose a game there. And at some point, they're going to start complaining that they never get included in this thing. Like, if you've got an undefeated I just, team... I just don't see Dan Lanning, year one, walking in and having that much success. Uh, we'll see, man. I think Pac-12 yeah. can cannibalize itself, by the way. So That's absolutely true. Look, that's what they do every year, right? You yeah. get a team... Like, Utah wins the Pac-12 last year. They go 10-4. and four, um, Or 10-3, and three, I guess, before they go in the bowl game and almost beat Ohio State. I mean, look, if, if you want to pick chalk, fine. I mean, but who's the fourth team, right? I if you've got... If, so, so we're going with Alabama, Ohio State, and either Oklahoma or Clemson and somebody else, right? Yep. Hey, you hey. almost read my you almost read mine out. Well, go ahead, Nick. Tell them what yours. Tell, tell them what yours is. So I had I had out. First off, you're you're way too tough on Utah. Go back, anybody. If you you need some football a football fix, go back and watch that Utah Ohio State Rose Bowl. Utah punched Ohio State in the mouth coming out in that game, and the Buckeyes needed a big comeback to even compete in that game. Uh, that, that Utah team is pretty good. Also played very well against Oregon a couple times last year too. Uh, Kyle Will, uh, Whittingham out there, they've had a very good program. So they're going to be – I expect Utah might be preseason top 10 coming into the swamp. So that's going to be a big, big game uh, for, for the Gators out the shoot. Uh, I got Alabama. You got to go – I, I don't pick against Alabama in the preseason. I'd love to, but I'm just not doing it. Uh, Alabama, the one seed, Ohio State and Oklahoma on the 2-3 matchup. And I, I hate it. But, man, Lincoln Riley, they're just doing too much out there. I don't think there's anybody to stand in their way. Southern Cal. Southern Cal does not have a crazy difficult schedule this year. And they'll have a few tough games, but they get up for the three or four right games. You could easily see USC in the college football playoff this year. And you know the media is going to be all about hyping up that Southern Cal team all year long. I think they're going to be among the most hated teams in college football Uh Probably the lot. I always hated those Southern Cal teams back in the day. So, see, but. this is the, this is the thing. I think they're going to try to keep them out. I mean, I look at the media, and I, I think there's a bunch of old guys who are the old sports writers going to be like, "Oh, Lincoln Riley, he turned coat, and you know, goes to Southern Cal." I think they're going to find every opportunity they can to slate that team. And one loss, you're out. 
and you know we'll, we'll see but you, you can't tell me dan lanning comes to oregon and is gonna do you know oh he'll do an okay job and then you got lincoln riley coming to usc after Bo what Nicks. that's turned into from a dumpster fire well yeah well, there you uh, go yeah. i didn't even think about that i forgot about that part you got <laughs> Bo Nix. You, you have bo nicks in the playoff will hey how awesome will it be when bo nicks beats georgia week one that'd be awesome <laughs> that would be great Hey, one thing I did, th- I did kind of put together, Will, first-year head coach Dan Lanning in the playoff, and Nick, you, first-year head coach Oklahoma, defensive coordinator Clemson. I mean, there you go. I, not only I do I think Oklahoma, but I think the because Riley and, and Williams and USC, they're getting so much national attention, Dylan Gabriel transferring from, from Central Florida to – to Oklahoma and pairing up with Jeff Lebby, the offensive coordinator who was originally with Heupel at Central Florida, now went to Ole Miss under Lane, now at Oklahoma. That could be pretty, pretty good out there. My thing is, how good is Jeff Lebby, by the way, though? Because he was under Heupel, he was under Kiffin. Are they so, really? Are they, is my, it really his offense? My understanding with Lebby is that he's he was a part of the there's Baylor staff said same reason why Bryles uh, Kendall Bryles isn't getting yeah. jobs too so I, I think Levy was a part of that staff is my understanding but gotcha. yeah but he certainly knows how to call an offense man certainly knows how to call it off and I, I think him with Gabriel will be very interesting and if Gabriel doesn't work out they got a couple other options in that quarterback room too that could be pretty decent there at Oklahoma so big 12 this year I'm not that scared of Texas Standing in their way, I think there'll be that Texas hype trade. But Texas plays Oklahoma or Alabama in week two, so we'll learn about Texas real early too. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, I'll I'll release mine closer to the season. I am pretty pretty chalk there when, when it comes to the playoff. But there look, there is always that one surprise team. It's just hard picking that one surprise team. Well, it always but, comes from the Big Ten, and we know it ain't going to be Michigan because they're about to fall apart. No, so. No. Look, I think Bama and Ohio State to me are pretty much locked for the playoff this year. But Ohio State opens with Notre Dame coming to the shoot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, be, we're gonna have the Irish again. Yeah. No, you're gonna get <laughs> no. a loss on Notre Dame or Ohio State after week one. Ohio State beats them, and then yeah, I don't see yeah, I don't see Notre Dame either. But there's a lot of first year. I mean, Brent Venables, as I said, in your first year, Dan Lanning. Well, and look, I, I actually think that's a, that's an important thing to take into account for this year, right? I mean, we're picking guys who are first-year coaches, but yeah. you know, nobody would have expected that Taggart would have taken over at Florida State and just immediately turned that into a laughing stock, right? Like we might have anticipated that he might that he would have been like you know nine and three or eight mm-hmm. and five. We wouldn't have predicted they were going to be lining up in the wrong direction three three years later, right? And and yeah, they so haven't. These guys are- I mean, these guys aren't Lincoln Riley and just kind of taking over for Bob Stoops. You know, they're going to programs like even Kirby Smart, for as good as he has been, still had first year struggles at Georgia as a first time head coach. So, well, and that, that's, that's why, sort of like, that's also in the SEC, a little bit tougher. Uh, but that's just why I can't fully get on board of Brent Venables and Dan Lanning having these great successful seasons. Well, but the difference that I will say is that Lanning went to Oregon because Cristobal left for a different job, not because he was fired. And if but you were they still other, in a better were they still in a better spot than Georgia taking over Kirby Smart taking over for Mark Rick? Well, I mean, so no, but that's because 
Richt was a good recruiter who yeah. won 10 games every year and just couldn't beat any Florida's head coaches. Um, I love Mario But the point I was going to make is that Lincoln Riley is coming into a situation at Southern Cal where the guy got fired. Yeah. Right. So, and, and was there well, for an extended period of time. Their defense is going to be terrible no matter what. <laughs> and so you look at it and go, look, you're going to have to turn around the things that were going wrong. Whereas Oregon tried to keep Cristobal, right? They tried yeah. to pay him and he decided to take the job at Miami for whatever reason. And I'm assuming there was some money involved, but he wanted to be there too, right? Like that was yeah. home and that's where he wanted to be and, and all that sort of stuff. So, and there was sort of that waffling back and forth. So Oregon didn't look at their program and say, we need to make a change. They were right. forced to make a change by their head coach. Whereas Southern Cal looked at it and said, we need to make a change. And Oklahoma got stabbed in the back by their head coach when he went out to USC. <laughs> um, you know, after he just said, I'm not going to LSU full stop and then decided to go to Southern Cal. So that's a whole thing. Um, one. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I think the point is, is that not all first year coaches are the same. And the first-year coach at Oregon is different than the first-year coach at Oklahoma is different than the first-year coach at Southern Cal. Good, that was a good conversation there, by the way. So uh, college football playoff, I mean, gets us every year. We'll see who the four are. I mean, do Alabama and Georgia from the SEC make it again? So that's one storyline, I think, to watch out for uh, once again there. So all right, before we sign off uh, here Jaden Rashada, guys, of course, been making all the headlines in the last week or so uh, for the Gators um, and visit plans. Hopefully, we'll get some concrete info. I'm hearing trying to nail down dates next week. They keep flip-flopping just a little bit. Uh, We're probably looking at probably mid to late week visit there for Rashada. Just visited last week. That visit went really, really, really good, about as good as it could possibly go uh, for the five-star quarterback visiting Gainesville. Look, 2,220 yards, 27 touchdowns, five interceptions last year. Has improved in his passing placement, ball placement in th- this past spring, above above arm strength, above average arm strength there uh, for Rashada. Look, I mean, Will, you, you've – Put the article out there. When is it time to worry about recruiting? Uh, we know we got a couple more months before we have to do that. But if we're going to start looking at a spark, if we're going to start looking at a lightning rod, we know Florida's got plenty of top targets out there on the board. And a lot of people had already written off quarterback recruiting. Rashada visits last week. Everything's going to start picking back up again as far as the talk of getting a big-time quarterback in the class. If it's going to be one, it's going to be Rashada. I know all the Arch Manning talk out there. I ain't taking that much. Wait, so I Will's got to take his Arch Manning jersey back? <laughs> I think there's a lot of lip service out there. I think it'd be hard to pull him away from the, the other relationships of the other big schools that he's had out there. This is Florida's last chance here. Florida's got a great shot at it up there with Oregon, maybe Texas A&M as well. I think it's more of a Florida-Oregon battle right now. I'm telling you, trying to get that visit next week, but Florida's in good shape as they head to that June 18th commitment. So first off, I was going to be conflicted because there were. I'm pretty sure there was no way I was going to buy a Florida jersey with Manning on the back. I just you know, <laughs> wasn't going to do it. So thankful I don't have to do it. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate you not not ponying up for whatever it costs to get him here or whatever whatever the reason is for him not coming. As if he needs um, nil. As if he needs nil. Yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> hey. You know, my <laughs> there there are plenty of families where it's 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 the dad's money. It ain't the kids' yeah, money. That's true. That's you got to go earn your own way. So uh, you know, we'll see. But 
I don't know. I mean, I look at it and, and there has been, there have been a ton of visitors and there has been a ton of positive press and it just hasn't converted yet. And I know I keep preaching patience, but I'm as impatient as other people and, and things are going to have to start hitting. And until things start hitting, yeah, we can talk about visits. Oh, it went really, really well. There were plenty of visits that went well when Dan Mullen was in charge and it didn't convert into the guys that we needed to be here. So, um, you know, I, I hate to be the guy who's the Debbie Downer here. But oh, no, no, look, we, we had to see results. We, we Absolutely. They have to start coming. Uh, the other thing is, is that when you look at Rashada's profile in terms of yards per attempt and completion percentage his junior year, I look at that and go, eh, okay. I mean, and I, and I think quarterback is one of the hard places to evaluate. Um but it's not a profile I look at and go star immediately. I look at it and go best case developmental prospect. Maybe he has all the physical skills, but not ready to step in and be an SEC quarterback as a true freshman. Um, so the good news is, is that if he commits and Richardson stays an extra year, he'll have time to learn. I think he'll need to learn. Um, that doesn't mean he doesn't have the skills. Doesn't mean he won't be a great player. It just means you know you think about like Tim Tebow when he came in in 2000, 2006, you know, he wasn't ready to be the starting quarterback yet. It took a full year getting on the field for a little bit and then having a full offseason where you were the starter. And even then, we were like, yeah, we know what he did last year, but is he going to be able to convert it? Obviously, he goes out and wins the Heisman Trophy. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the things is this is, it, you know, a lot of times a five star guy is a guy you expect to come in and start day one. I would be surprised if Rashad is a guy who comes in and starts day one. At the same time, I mean, again, you need elite quarterback play to win in the SEC if you've got any sort of talent deficit at all. But you may need it anyway because the teams that are at the top, at least Alabama, is pairing elite quarterback play with all of the talent that they're putting on the field. When you think about Bryce Young, Kirby, that's the one criticism of him is that he has not paired, he has not been able to pair elite quarterback play with the with the team that he's put together. Last year, he just happened to put together a transcendent defense that could allow Stetson Bennett to make a few mistakes. I think this year, if he makes those same mistakes, Florida's going to get going to get bit by somebody, or Georgia's going to get bit by somebody at some point along the way. Hopefully, Florida, but. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I think, look, you got to be positive. Anytime you hear that a, that a visit goes great, you look at it and say, I mean, there's an alternative, right? Where he sort of says, <laughs> I'm dropping you out of my top five. Um, at the same time, we're in a lot of top fives right now. We're going to have to make a bunch of top threes, and we need to make some top ones because, uh, you know, and, and, and we'll see that, right? Because in June and July, there's going to be a lot of commits, and we'll kind of know where we stand coming out of July in terms of all those targets who are on the board. Are you telling me we're ahead of the Cal Bears in this recruitment here? Because that was on the top seven last I saw. That's good. That's good. We're putting Cal in our rearview mirror here in this process. Uh, Location. Harkening (laughs) back to our Richardson conversation, I'll punch the ticket for a five-star quarterback committing. I do worry, unlike Tim Tebow coming here and sitting for a year, you know, obviously he got a lot of snaps that freshman year and was using a very unique role. Jacksonville, Florida kid. Jacksonville, Florida kid. Who's who's Rashada going to be behind if AR leaves? Jack Miller? Jack Jack Miller right now, right? Yeah. So I I mean, Max Brown? I mean, he would have a good shot. Like, you would think he'd have a good shot next year. But in the era of transfer portal, California kid. California kid, is is he going to be tempted to go back home? And that's that's what I'm not. Obviously, I would take the five star quarterback commitment all day. Don't get me wrong. But if you're looking at. You know different options. I, I I would worry about that. I would worry if he's not see if he let's say he does get beat out by Jack Miller in year two, and he thinks he should be the starter. Is he out of here? The first chance he gets going across the country, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's a fascinating, you know, if AR does leave, you know, the depth chart is very friendly. Did you still go get a transfer quarterback who's that one-year stop gap so you don't have to force him in there? Or do mm-hmm. you do you put him in over Jack Miller, Jalen Kitna, Max Brown? I mean, you have to assume, you know, either if, – if, if so, you know, Kitna's probably on his way out uh, if that's the case or, you know, something, something like that. That's way down the road. But, you know, to me, that is a big selling point for Florida right here is, hey – this might be AR's last year. You as a true freshman can, can come in here and compete and, and, and be the guy. If Oregon's your choice, well, they got a five-star quarterback waiting in the rings already. Texas A&M is your choice. they got a very heavy quarterback depth chart. Florida's, as a big-time program, Florida's your best shot to come in here and maybe walk, walk with the job as a true freshman. So that has to be part of the, part of the selling point right there. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, I think, like Nick said, you're not going to turn down the commitment of a five-star guy. At the same time, there's a resource allocation to get to know somebody out on the West Coast that, you know, the question is, you know, we've talked extensively about Napier building a circle around Gainesville, and the state of Florida is loaded this year. And so it's great if you go and get Rashada, but if you get Rashada and you don't get people in that circle, that's bad. Right? Like you need to get the people in that circle. And, you know, if all you got was, I think we talked about this earlier in the year, if all you got was 25 guys and you could pick your 25 guys from inside that circle, that's a hundred mile radius or 150 mile radius outside of Gainesville, you'd have a top three class. So, you know, from the standpoint of who you should be able to bring in and who you want to be putting in IL dollars on and who you're visiting and who you're able to spend time with. And look, it's easier these days, right? I mean, you got Zoom, you got cell phones, you got all that, you know, FaceTime, all that sort of stuff. There's where a previous can, relationship with his dad as well. His dad played at Arizona State in the 90s and got to know Billy Napier when Billy Napier was at Arizona State. So there is um, a – I won't say they're like best friends or anything, but there is a they, – they do know each other. They know of each other. There is a prior relationship there. Yeah, well, and look, I mean, sometimes you just decide you want something different. And if Rashada yeah. said, hey, I'm, I'm tired of California, I want to try Florida, or I want to try the East Coast, or, or you know, maybe he thinks the offense fits his skill set in a way that other offenses out West don't, um, that's great, right? I mean, look, it's a risk when you go and get a guy from California, but that doesn't mean you never recruit a guy from California. If you look at him and your evaluation says this guy's special, then, yeah, you put resources against it. Um, you know, again, it's it's not a matter. And, and again, I, I don't think you evaluate a, a recruiting class on one player. If Rashada decides to go someplace else, that doesn't mean Napier's a good recruiter. It doesn't mean he's a bad recruiter. It's the aggregate of what happens over the next four or five months we're going to be looking at. And Rashada is a piece of that puzzle. And so if he's a piece that they are able to place in that puzzle, then great. Um, if he's not, then I think that they'll be able to get by with the people they've already brought in, um, you know, especially if Richardson ends up staying two years. All I heard was blah, 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 Arch Manning or bust. That's what Will just said, right? Did that sum that up well? <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, one more thing before we sign off here. Uh, SEC scheduling, SEC meeting starting this week, uh, and scheduling is the top of the – Which look, we just talked the future of Gator football. This is the future of college football, future of SEC here. Um, Alabama.com, Mike Rodak said today on Twitter, Florida AD Scott Strickland says both scheduling models being discussed by the SEC would involve every school visiting each stadium within a four-year period. It's the 3-6-6 model, which that means three permanents. You play six opponents one year, six opponents the next year. This is when Texas and OU joined, by the way, so this is how it would work out. So three permanent, 
six one year, six the other year, so they all rotate nine conference games. Uh, and then the other one would be a one only one permanent. Not a big fan of that. And seven rotating to give you your your games there. Not a big fan of that. Uh, but those are the two models being discussed. Guys, to me, it's got it's got to be three six. Three, give me give me your three, Dave. Who who's give, the Gators three? Like who do I want it to be, or who yeah. should? Okay. Both, both Vanderbilt, okay. Missouri, and Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go. Yes, um, I will hate uh, you. Like Georgia's on there either way. Or... Yeah, Georgia's on there either way. Yeah. Um, Tennessee, LSU. That's I, I want those three to stay. I don't I, think it will end that way. I don't think Florida gets all three of those because I think LSU has to play Alabama. LSU has to play Arkansas. LSU has to play Ole Miss. Auburn, I would think Auburn. Auburn's there too. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I know some older SEC fans, especially LSU Ole Miss is a you know pretty historic SEC rivalry. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't see Florida LSU staying. I I, I say Florida. I see Florida Tennessee staying more so than I do. But then if you look at Tennessee's side of it, okay, they got Alabama, they got Georgia. Those those two are going to stay. So do they have Florida as well? Right, and then Vanderbilt. I mean, yeah, Vanderbilt. They, Get that in state. So, so I can see Tennessee going away, and that leaves Florida with Georgia, South Carolina, and probably Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma year to year? That'd be interesting. Because that, that uh, I've I've followed this a lot. Like it, for real, if you start looking at Tennessee and LSU and who their three permanents could be, it, they Florida could get rid of both of those, and Georgia being the permanent, South Carolina just because of that, and then. Add in Oklahoma. I guess the question is, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah. So to me, the game that if you lost would be just like a travesty for college football is Florida, Georgia, right? Yeah. But that's okay. the one that you, that's the one you can't lose. Same thing, Oklahoma, Texas. Yeah. Like you can't lose that one, right? Um, Alabama, Auburn. You can't Auburn, lose that. Auburn, yeah. You're so gonna Auburn's, have to, a, it, Auburn's a pretty good case too because I would love Florida, Auburn to be back. That's but an old rivalry not, that went by but the You're way not side. getting rid of Auburn, Alabama. You're not getting rid of Auburn, Georgia. And you're not making Auburn's third Florida. You're, you're, you're just not doing that to them. It would be pretty unfair. Well, but that's sort of my point, right, is what are you trying to achieve? You're going to have to give up some of those, right? So yeah. Auburn, Georgia is going to have to go away. I, I actually think it's far more reasonable for just from a just from an equality standpoint and a, and a fairness in the schedules. I actually think they ought to almost take an NFL model where you take the previous year's records – and you decide the best teams in the SEC play the best teams in the SEC, and the worst teams in the SEC play the worst teams in the SEC to try to enable it. That way, you don't have Alabama just beating the crap out of Vanderbilt every year, you know, just because they happen to be like a permanent cross opponent or something like that. I don't even. Again, what you, does that do I, for I, the SEC's playoff chances, though? Well, I mean, so again, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to maximize right. TV dollars? <laughs> and yeah. is the S and, and this That's is why question. I think they go nine conference games, by the way. I think well, TV I, money, TV money. I, will, I do sure. agree, nine conference well, games. And, and this, this is the other question is, is if you go 10 and 2 in the SEC, but you've played a real schedule because yeah. you've decided to, to make sure that you're playing teams that are great, does that team still make the playoff? I mean, because I'll be honest, if they freeze the SEC out of the playoff, the SEC is going to go start its own league. <laughs> right, like you can't like they are so big at this point. They'll just that has been teased by the teams. way. That has been it's teased. coming. It's coming. <laughs> but it, but irrespective of that, I, I think I look at it and I go. I, other than I think the one in seven makes 
way more sense because it gives you the opportunity to set up the games that make sense. You, you look at it and you go, last here's our ESPN FPI or whatever you want to use as the rankings, and you make sure that the teams that are 100th play the teams that are 90th, and the teams that are 10th play the teams that are 14th. So you get better games on a year-to-year basis if you do it that way. And then when you do go play a team like Vanderbilt or something like that, they're not 0-8 in the SEC. They've had an opportunity to win a few games. And certainly you're going to have flops every once in a while where on a Saturday you're watching Vandy play Missouri and you're like, oh, this is crap. But we get that right now and we go, oh, this is right. crap. And we turn the channel and watch something else, right? So the idea that you would the idea that you would set a schedule four years ahead of time, to me, doesn't make any sense when TV's driving the dollars. Set the, uh, we saw this with COVID. They set the schedule like a day before it happened. Like you can do the <laughs> same thing now, just the year before. So, you know, look at the schedule the year before. Look at strength of schedule. Look at record. However you want to evaluate it, and set the schedule based on quality of the opponent. And you know, hey, every once in a while it's going to get a little bit wrong because you know, hey, a Heisman level quarterback leaves and a team just like you know immediately goes down and gets beat down pretty heavy. But that's good. That's healthy for the conference. The fact that Alabama. Remember, that's what yeah. I said for that's that's how I said to fix bowl games. Do bowl games as preseason kickoffs from the previous year. I know. I love that idea. I, I wish they would do it. Try tell the Rose Bowl that one. They, they <laughs> won't go for it. They like their parades, man. I, I, I like I like the idea of the three six model. Uh I don't even care who your permanent three are. Like if if somebody you're still has, gonna play everybody every other year, right? Because the six, the idea is that you're rotate, you're playing everybody's playing at everybody else's stadium once every four years. I think I read, which I I love that. I mean, I want to see Alabama and Florida play a lot more in the regular season than we do, even though sometimes I'm okay not doing that. But yeah, you know, <laughs> but last year, even though we lost the game, it was a lot of fun to have Alabama come rolling into town, and we hadn't seen that in the swamp in about a decade. So we need to do that. That needs to happen more often. I, I love that. And outside of Georgia, you really can mix it up because right. even though it would suck to lose, I love playing LSU every single year. That bat, I went to Baton Rouge in, for the 2007 game when I was a student. The Tebow game with the fault where, where we ended up losing on all those fake field goals and fourth down conversions at the end. And uh, I, I, that environment was so electric in Baton Rouge. That I, I love that rivalry too, Florida-LSU. We've lost that spark with Tennessee, but historically, Auburn is a much greater rival than Tennessee ever was, and we lost them due to this. Mm-hmm. But you're adding these, you know, even though A&M's been here for a while, I refuse to acknowledge Missouri's existence as an SEC member. Uh, I'm going to keep hammering that, but A&M is kind of newer to the fold here. We haven't played them a ton, but you want to play Oklahoma and Texas with some level of regularity too. Yeah. So either there's going to be some level of rotation and maybe – your top three are like with Georgia, for example, Auburn's a huge rival for them too. So like play Florida, play Auburn and one other every year, South Carolina maybe, but then the six are going to rotate. So even if your three were Vanderbilt, Kentucky and Missouri, then your other six are going to be like Alabama, LSU, Auburn. It's going to be brutal on the other six. So nine games is going to even out across the board anyway. So I really don't care who your permanent three is. Although Florida Wise, I think I would take. You feel like South Carolina would probably be in that mix just geographically. Yeah, I think so. So yeah. South Carolina, Georgia, and more than likely would stick. Probably stick with Tennessee. I would think would be the highest likelihood of the our three that we play year in and year out. 
I don't know. We're talking about a sport where where West Virginia was in the Big East and the Big Twelve all in the span of like two years. So I, I, I don't UCF know. UCF is Jack... about to be in, UCF is about to be in the Big Twelve. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean you know, I, I don't know that we're necessarily going to have to stick to geographies. It's 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 going to come down to the money at the end of the day. We all know that. Well, yeah. then then get get Tennessee out of there. Let's go LSU. Let's go LSU. Keep that one going. I like that one. Yeah, it's very very interesting to see to see where it goes. I don't know if we even get an answer out of these uh, out of these meetings this week, but uh, that's just kind of seems to be the way uh, it's trending right now. So, all right, guys, hey, thank you so much uh, for hopping on here, previewing the, uh, the 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 magazine that you guys put out. Let me put it up one more time, right there, reading reaction. 2022 Florida Gators Preview Magazine with Will and Nick. Readandreaction.com slash mag. That's where you can find it. Link is in the description as well. You can click on it uh, to go purchase it right there uh, at the site. Readandreaction.com slash mag. Guys, one, one more time. Good good job. Good job. I've, uh, I've skimmed through it for the episode. I've done a lot of deep reading for probably the first half of it uh, there. So, uh, But uh, really, really, really good stuff there. Like I said, well, 150 pages of, of, of Gator content. Well, the good news is is you're going on vacation pretty soon, Dave, right? Yeah. So you can sit there with your iPad and read it while yep. everybody's committing up here because you're going on vacation. Is, <laughs> is that the plan? <laughs> Hopefully that is the plan. And I, I get to come back and have an episode of a whole bunch of commitments. I don't know, man. If if you if you go to like the Cayman Islands or wherever you're going, and and uh, you know three or four or five stars pop, I think we're gonna have to take up the Read and Reaction magazine will pay for you to go back for the rest of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Send you right back over there. We all we all enjoy win. paradise. Enjoy paradise. They will be on the beach and have a video out before us on the on the. <laughs> he will. Well. You'll like see the waves crashing in the back as he's talking about Jaden Rashada committing to Florida along with uh, along with. As my my wife slaps me in the back of the head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We hey, we really appreciate. She's she's understanding when I'm home, but that would be uh, that that would be a cutoff right there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, we'll we'll hold down the fort then while uh, while you're gone. But hey, we really appreciate you having us on talking about this. Um, Thanks, Dave. You know it's uh, it's a cool next step for us for the website, and uh, you know you've been nothing but supportive this whole this whole up this whole endeavor really right bringing me on here as a guest and then as a co-host and bringing nick on as he's joined reading reactions we really appreciate your support appreciate everybody out there in the gators breakdown universe for their support as well um you know it's it, it like nick said it's a labor of love and uh you know every, anybody who's looked at the site has noticed the the paucity of articles that have come out over the last month or so and this is the reason for that so um you know we appreciate everybody's support and uh and Give us feedback, right? If there's stuff you like, stuff you don't like, we want to know because this is the first annual Read and Reaction Florida Gator preview, and there will be one next year. Like you mentioned, Dave, we're working on actually setting up to have hard copies next year, which would be awesome. And uh, I'd just like to note that it's June, so we're one month closer to football season, fellas. That's right. We're getting there. We're getting there. I can't believe it's June already, but I love it. I know. I was just counting down, trying to look you know ahead a, a little bit, and a month and a half SEC media days, pretty much. Let's go. <laughs> so let's uh, go. We didn't get our Jimbo Saban fist fight at the meetings, so <laughs> that's unfortunate. I know. I looked. It was like, man, are they going to be there the same days on SEC media days? And they are not. SEC uh, needs to rework that, by the way. But uh, are you going to that, Dave? You going out there? I should be there. It's in Atlanta, so yeah. it's. Uh, 
I should be there once again, as long as gas prices don't keep rising. You know, it might cost a grand to get there, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> okay, TV station, TV station to pay for it. So that's, that's oh, all. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, man. a lot, a lot to look forward to right there. Uh, exciting, man! I can't wait. I'm, I'm yeah. so jacked for the season. Like, irrespective of what the outcome is, it's hope, right? We talked about it last year when when Grantham and and Hevesy were fired. That just the Mullen era had run out of hope, and the Napier era brings that all the way back, right? And so to walk into a season and see that, and know that that's there, and know that we don't know what's going to happen, right? We can't look at the last four years of recruiting and go, oh, "This is a problem." We can't look at you know the last three years of film and go, "Look, oh, the offense isn't really." isn't really advancing we can't look at grantham's defense and go Ugh. like you know everything's new right and so new data points are coming which is exciting but that also means that we got the hope that this is this is the florida gator turnaround and you know four years from now we're going to be looking back at that sec championship game that florida beat alabama and took down saban and and you know started a new a new era of florida football winning championships so it's 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 exciting i can't wait all right and uh one, one more to one more to to send us out um, through the through the whole preseason magazine. Will and Nick have put out there. Georgia is never mentioned as national champion. This they are as SEC. what Dave as what? Yeah. That's yeah. not their title. That's not what? their title. It, they SEC didn't win the SEC. Yeah, it's our magazine, man. We, we call them what we want to call them. Yeah. They, they didn't win the SC. They're the SC runner up. I I'll tell you. The storyline for me on Georgia's season last year was they, they just can't get over the hump and beat Alabama and Atlanta. And, and <laughs> when will they do it? When will they get the job done and actually beat <laughs> Alabama in Atlanta? It's got to happen at some point, you would think. Well, and, and here's here's the deal. Like at Read and Reaction, we strive to be factually accurate. And they are the SEC runner-up for 2021. <laughs> it is absolutely correct. And we point that out multiple times in the magazine. <laughs> in fact, one of you people, one of the guests, the experts, Gold Camp put in, you know, the thing they won after the SEC championship, and we changed it as an editor's note to change it to, <laughs> SEC, to change it to SEC. Almost slipped it in. Almost got by us. We caught that in, in perforating <laughs> note. We can be petty. We can be petty. That's it's the right kind of petty. It is. We're allowed to be. All right, there we go. As I said, everybody go check out the uh, preview right there at readandreaction.com slash mags. All right, so for Will and Nick, I'm David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode. Guys and girls, we'll check you out there next week on Gators Breakdown.